Welcome back. This is The Blackout. We're coming to you from BellyUpSports.com. He is Alan Denton. I'm Thomas Black, and we're here with you for another Pick'em Pod. Alan, how are you? Oh, my goodness. After a great first week of football with some upsets, and oh, my gosh, it was it was just great to, to see some really good football back on my TV. It's kind of wild, man. We've gone through... You know, these these reduced schedules here for a couple of weeks now, but we finally have the Power Five kicking off. We had the Big 12. We had the ACC. Uh, we found out some information with that stuff. Uh, but it was good just to see a little bit higher level football played throughout the weekend because it means, hey, we get to watch some of the stars out there, and it means we're watching some of the teams that are going to have the biggest impact on the college football world throughout the season. Exactly. Uh, these are the guys. We got to see a few of the teams that – that we had talked and, and been in conversations about being at the top of their conferences and, and potentially even being in the college football playoffs. So it was nice to, to see some of those teams and, 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 you know, see relatively good, clean football, even with crazy camp schedules. Yeah, it really was nice to see a lot of it for the first time. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into it. Alan, what we're going to do as we get into these pick'em pods is we're going to spend the second half of the show on the pick'em pod in the contest. And then the first half, we're going to be breaking down the Power 5 ponderings. So let's get into it. Let's jump into the Big Ten because, Alan, today of all days, we've got breaking news again. This is the second time in three podcasts that the Big Ten has broken news right on the day we've been recording, so it's awfully convenient. But the Big Ten is back. We're going to have football coming up in October from the Big Ten. Alan, before we get into the details, what was your reaction to the announcement as it kind of broke last night and officially announced today? Even more so than the joy of knowing that we're going to get to see uh, those teams play Michigan and Ohio State. We're going to get to see Penn State play in Wisconsin, kind of duke it out, was the fact of great, great satisfaction of seeing people like Pat Forty and Dan Wolken just bemoan and whine like just, oh, just the worst of the worst. It was just joyous to see them have to backpedal after they were on their moral high horse not two months ago. (laughs) (laughs) It is such a wild ride that we've been on watching the coronavirus pandemic, seeing cancellations of football. We dropped at one point down to 76 schools playing in the FBS Now with the Big Ten coming back, we're going to be all the way up to 90 once we fit all these teams in come kind of late October. So let's get into the details of it. They're coming back, but Alan, it's all going to kick off October 23rd and 24th. That's a Friday and Saturday. That's going to be the first weekend the Big Ten is back. They're going to go with an eight-game regular season. That's, of course, conference only. And then once the eight-game season wraps up, they're going to have a conference championship weekend in which... Not only is it the top team in the East and the top team in the West matching up for the conference championship, but in addition to that, you're going to have the number two team in the West play the number two team in the East, the number three team in the East play the number three team in the West, and so on and so forth, all the way down the conference slate. So in all, it's going to be nine total games for each team, nine consecutive weeks with no buys, 
wrapping up on December 19th. So let's start with that. Just with the basis of the schedule, what stood out to you with the announcement today? The fact that I thought if they were going to start it, they would have maybe tried to start a week earlier only to be able to give themselves a week by nine games in nine weeks is going to be pretty brutal. Yeah. Right. Like nobody, the the NFL for the the most part doesn't even do that. And so um, to see that, I I think the players that are going to play are excited just to be a part of it. Um, But you're going to see the teams with a great amount of depth be able to handle that and particularly depth along the offensive and defensive lines, because you're, you're going to have guys banged up particularly because it's going to be even colder than it normally has been because you're going to have these December games and there's never December games in the big 10, right? They, they don't want to deal with it being negative 20 in mid December in Wisconsin. <laughs> and so I think that's going to be a potential big issue as we creep into December. I think you're all over it. Just look at uh, what you said about the deeper teams having an advantage circle, Ohio state circle, Penn state, uh, maybe Wisconsin, maybe a Michigan, those teams with less opt outs and that are more talented in the first place Just think about it. If they've got blowouts, which they're going to have a number of them when they play the lesser teams in the Big Ten, they can Mm -hmm. rest their starters mid-third quarter, all of the fourth quarter, and just not run as many plays. And hey, it's still rough playing nine weeks. It's not easy, but they're going to have an easier time than those teams that have their starters on the field longer, a lot of closer games with the mid-tier teams, and then playing the tougher teams. It's really going to be challenging for some of those mid-tier and lower-level teams in the Big Ten. Exactly. Well, at least Rutgers is a bye week for everybody that they play. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's, that won't be too bad, at least. An important note to, t- to make, the reason they are rushing through and playing nine games in nine weeks or eyeballing that, because of course we're gonna, probably going to see some cancellations in there as well, is because they're going to wrap up before December 20th when the college football playoff selection show is done. So of course, the Big Ten does have the opportunity, as long as they fit their season in, to be able to have a team selected for the college football playoff. They have to at least play eight games, though, right? Like, it, it, even if, like, say Ohio State, Ohio State can't go 7-0 and and get in the, in the college football playoff, can they? Like, I feel like that would be a travesty if you've got, if you've got a sitting there a one or two loss team that's played 10 games. You talking about people being up in arms, (laughs) like a seven and Oh, Ohio state team that gets in over like a 10, you know, an eight and two Georgia team or something like that, or Florida or even Alabama, people would lose their friggin' minds. I see what you're saying, but I bet you it's going to happen because with Ohio state, (laughs) yeah, they're going to dominate just about everybody in that league. And if they come away with a bunch of 25 and 30 and 40 point wins, uh, then they're sitting there seven and Oh, let's go with your number. Let's say they're seven and Oh, at the end of the season, they've been very impressive throughout the committee loves the eye test. They love looking at these impressive, talented teams. And I think, heck yeah, they're probably going to be sitting there in the playoff, even though it's a shorter season, man, it's going to be wild. It's going to be fun to see. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I would have liked to see, the, the Big Ten go with a, a version close to what they did. But hey, why not cut off the conference championship and cut off those extra games, what they're calling kind of the consolation games for the lower level teams? Why not just cancel that 
and say it's an eight-game slate and throw a bye week in there. You know, just make it a little bit easier on everybody, make it easier on the kids' bodies, and at the same time, offer in that bye week where once you have a postponement, instead of just canceling the game because all your weeks are booked up anyway, maybe you can slot it into that bye week at some point. You can't both say that you care about these kids' health and you've prioritized that for the past six months and also make them play nine games in nine weeks. The two are antithetical, right? It doesn't make sense to me in, in what they're, they're doing. I mean, as a, as a college football consumer, listen, I'm going to love every second of it, every game that we get to watch. And I'm glad it's going to be a part of our pickems because Big Ten games are a lot of fun to pick. But it seems as if everything that they were saying, and again, we're on their moral high horse over, that they're retreating to the point where it, they're actually doing things in a less um, systematic, uh, sensical way than the SEC or Big 12 or ACC. Yeah, I'm exactly with you. It does not make a lot of sense. Like I said, I'd love to see at least one bye week in there if you're going to try and squeeze it in. But it's all about the money. They're trying to get in the football games. They're trying to get in the college football playoff and be a part of that thing. So, yep. Alan, the next question I have is, what in the world do you think this means for all the opt-outs? Because we've seen a number of players opt out. A lot of talented ones. Even today, there was breaking news with Michigan that quarterback Dylan McCaffrey is planning to transfer, and he's opted out of the 2020 season. So all of a sudden, what that does for Michigan is the other quarterback in competition, Joe Milton, is very likely to be the starter going into game one for Michigan. I think we may see a couple people. I think we may see a couple of people opt back in. And I think that we'll see a few players, particularly on the teams that are not in a, they're not going to compete for a big 10 championship. I can still see them going ahead and opting out. Um, Even if they're marginally close to being drafted, I could see some, some of those athletes deciding not to, not to worry with it this year. Um, But I, you know, I think it's going to be pretty wild. The fact that McCaffrey's transferring, I think that's uh, um, McCaffrey from the running back for the uh, Panthers' brother, isn't it? Yes, yes. It's all the uh, all the McCaffreys. It's Eddie McCaffrey's kid, Eddie McCaffrey, who played for the Denver Broncos in the NFL for a long time, Christian McCaffrey for the uh, Carolina Panthers, and they've got a couple of other brothers who've either played college football or I think are just entering college football. So there's a bunch of them out there. Um, but <laughs> all those little white guys. Yeah. Yeah. And Christian McCaffrey, man, he's, he's a lightning bug. He's a really, really good player. Um, yep. you know, these other guys, the other brothers, not quite as much. Um, but you know, Dylan McCaffrey did have an opportunity to potentially start for Michigan, but, uh, I don't know. My guess is with the transfer portal, maybe he got word that he wasn't going to win that job anyway. Shea Patterson's going to apply for his 14th year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, it will be interesting to see, though, because, you know, in the in the Big Ten, we do have an extensive list of some of the top players out there. We've got Rondell Moore, the wide receiver from Purdue. We've got Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, a top 10 pick probably in the NFL draft. You've got a couple of talented guys from Ohio State and cornerback Sean Wade and offensive guard Wyatt Davis. Uh, wide receiver Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. So it, there's a lot more than that, but those are some of the stars, and it would – definitely uh, be on my priority list is something that I would really enjoy myself selfishly if we saw at least a couple of those guys opt back in. 
that's going to be the most important recruiting these coaches have done in a few months. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see, and we will keep you documented on what all happens as we work our way to the beginning of the Big Ten season while we play all these other games all season long. So, Alan, let's continue on with the Power Five ponderings. Let's jump into the ACC from what we saw in week two of the college football season. Uh, A couple of things that I want to look at. One, we'll start off with the Thursday night game last week. What did you think of Miami with Derek King and offensive coordinator Rhett Lashley jumping in together and getting a win over UAB? I think this that was a UAB team that that did not have the capability to they didn't have the firepower to be able to beat Miami. Right. I saw that UAB team play Tennessee last year and they just don't have the firepower to be able to do this. And um I wasn't particularly impressed. I know there were people that were impressed. I know Derek King had uh, continued his streak of maybe six, I think 16 games where yeah. he had one rushing and a passing touchdown. That's fine and all, but 31 points is really not all that impressive. And um, so I, I don't, I, they didn't vault up in my mind, certainly not to the point where they're ranked like 18th in the country. That doesn't make any sense to me other than the, <laughs> fact, other than the fact that you just don't have other, you don't have that many more teams to rank in the top 25. Well, I mean, I think that's why, right? I mean, you know, yeah. they come into the season and you don't know exactly how things are going to go. And, and I think here's part of the reaction too. last year was such a mess with Miami's offense. It was terrible almost every game of the season. They had a couple of bright spots. They won a couple of games, but they were an utter disaster on the offensive line. The quarterback play couldn't take it because they didn't have mobile guys. And now you throw in a guy like Derek King and Hey, I don't blame you for not being blown away completely. uh, But I took some positives out of it just because all of a sudden you went from having a complete mess offensively with Miami they played a pretty good UAB defense. Now, I know the UAB didn't mm-hmm. have the horses to run with them offensively, but UAB had a pretty uh, talented defense. They brought back a lot of guys, and Miami r- ran up almost 500 yards of offense. They ran up almost 350 yards rushing. That's the kind of stuff that I looked at that I thought was impressive. It was kind of a, a hurry-up attack. They ran the ball a lot. I thought Cameron Harris looked pretty good. And so I, I think they have something working for them. I think that's a lot of progress over what we saw last year. That's fair. And they, God bless America. They were awful last year, and, but, but Derek King is going to be able to make plays with his feet, right? He is yeah. elusive. I mean, there are going to be lots of teams that are going to like, there are going to be some guys that get out of their gaps and he's going to run for 15 on them. Uh, and, and he's going to be able to do that quite a bit. Um, I, I think it's against some of the better, more disciplined coach teams in which, um, that they end up falling on. So I could easily see them um, winning, you know, six games. Alan, we talk about Miami and the progress they've made. We jump on over to Clemson. The takeaway I have from them, I mentioned this on Twitter. I think you saw it, but the Clemson defensive line, the recruiting class they brought in, Brian Brissy, the defensive tackle, Miles Murphy, the defensive end, those dudes are freaks. And they all of a sudden have a bunch of talent on the defensive line. Something that I talked to you about last year, Clemson did not have it after a bunch of guys went off to the NFL. And now all of a sudden they've got a bunch of dudes on the defensive line again. Oh boy. I mean, they were just eating. Uh, they were just eating Wake Forest alive. They had no chance against some of those freaks, man. 
uh, they just reloaded and it's going to be, that's, that is what we have come to know and expect from a Clemson defensive line. Yeah. And these guys might be the best of the bunch yet. Brian Bercy was just dominant. And I mean, talk about just first game out there. I even saw a quote from Brent Venables, Clemson's defensive coordinator, where somebody asked him about Brzee, and he said, ah, he's kind of like a puppy dog that you let outside for the first time. He's super excited, and he does some things, but at the same time, he's peeing all over himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, but it was fun to watch him. I mean, those guys are going to be terrors across the ACC for, you know, outside of injuries and that kind of thing for three years, and then they're off to the NFL. And even Miles Murphy, I told my wife, Kristen, she asked me my opinion of what I saw, and I said, Goodness, Miles Murphy, he kind of looks like Cleveland Farrell did, but he looks like Farrell did when he left Clemson to go to the NFL and was the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft. He already looks like he's physically matured to that point, and yet he's a true freshman. Absolutely. I don't know what these guys are eating. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> it's crazy. They're, they're absolutely dominant. Yeah, they were. Alan, the only other notes that I have from the ACC from the weekend, we've got to look at the what I wrote down as uninspiring performances, I think, of Notre Dame and North Carolina, and then the flat-out embarrassing performance of Florida State. What did you take away uh, from those teams on the field on Saturday? Oh, my goodness. I, I, I felt so bad for those Florida State fans. Once they got out to the 10 nothing lead, I mean, it, it looked like they were going to be able to, to, to take advantage of it, but they looked totally inept from that point on. My goodness. I mean, that was just atrocious. And I think it will continue to be atrocious until James Blackman is not the quarterback anymore. I think at some point that, that offense was moving when their backup quarterback was in. And then James Blackman would come back in, and that thing stalled every single time and, and so they were absolutely awful um Notre Dame I think that they'll figure out figure it out they are almost always um underwhelming um for the most part uh Ian Book is just a he's just a pretty good quarterback that's right. kind of who he is you know and uh they were they were kind of breaking in some some new new folks um versus what I believe will be a pretty decent Duke team I thought Chase Bryce was pretty impressive and so you know Notre Dame I think they'll figure it out but they're almost always underwhelming in these types of matchups yeah I think what you're saying makes an awful lot of sense I think the word inept for the Florida State offense is perfect (laughs) It, it, it was just it was just plain bad and where Georgia Tech kept on throwing out things that you know looked pretty good their freshman quarterback Jeff Sims and you know they were moving the ball up and down the field even though they had some bad turnovers Uh, everything Georgia Tech was doing at least showed signs of optimism and everything Florida State did was just hideous and it it just got worse and worse as the game went on so I'm with you on all of those Notre Dame I I was kind of hoping that they were going to look like a team that might be able to contend with Clemson in the ACC but I don't know if I'm I'm there yet after their first week's performance and then uh, North Carolina with Syracuse you know they were a heavy favorite They ended up winning the game by 25. That's nice, but they're only up 10-6 going into the fourth quarter. So I have some questions about that too, which will last going into the season, but I'm sure that offense will start clicking more with Sam Howell and those guys as as they get going. I think the ceiling for their offense is higher than Notre Dame's ceiling, and I think their defense could be pretty nasty. 
it'll be interesting to watch the development of that program and others in the ACC as we go. Alan, let's go ahead and jump into the Big 12. I don't know where you start anywhere other than the losses that the Big 12 had over the weekend. Iowa State falling to Louisiana, 31-14. Kansas State falling to Arkansas State by four. And Kansas, for the second year in a row, falling to Coastal Carolina. All three (laughs) opponents out of the Sun Belt. Oh, my goodness. How about the Sun Belt just just really taking it to them? I mean, my gosh, that was impressive. And I, I was... Louisiana Lafayette. Well, I mean, I think they're just Louisiana now. I always wanted to call them Louisiana Lafayette. Sure. But they were really impressive. Like that was not a fluky kind of win. I mean, they just, they made Matt Campbell and company absolutely quit. They just whooped them. They whooped them. And um, what ended up happening in Manhattan, Kansas was shocking. Yeah. To me. Um, which ends up kind of, bringing up the point that the the big winners of the week there were easily Texas looking dominant, looking like who you said that you thought they would look like. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the, uh, the middle tier of the big 12 over the weekend took a massive, massive hit. And what you're left with is going, okay, well now we're left with Oklahoma, Texas, Some people have made an argument for Oklahoma State. They haven't played yet. We'll see them in action for the first time this coming weekend. Uh, I'm not sure I'm quite on board with that, but uh, like you said, it it left Oklahoma and Texas to do what they do against lesser competition. Let's not get it wrong. You know, they're playing terrible opponents, uh, but Mm -hmm. so, so impressive. And that was the other takeaway that I had from the weekend, just the quarterback play from Texas and Oklahoma. Of course, we kind of knew it was going to come from Sam Ellinger. He went 25 of 33 for 426 yards and five touchdowns. But my goodness, Alan, the other big takeaway I have from the Big 12 is Spencer Rattler. I know it was against Missouri State in a 48-0 win, but Spencer Rattler went 14 of 17, 290 yards, and four touchdowns. He had more touchdowns than incompletions on the afternoon. Oh, boy. That dude can toss the tater, man. I mean, he he made it look easy. It was a, it was pretty impressive to to see on highlights because I ain't gonna freaking pay sixty dollars to watch them beat somebody by the second quarter. Heck no! And uh, I'm with you, dude. I just saw highlights, but you were with me to an extent on kind of raising questions on Oklahoma and what do they look like with a younger quarterback? All the losses they've had on offense. Uh, all that kind of stuff. And what did Spencer Rattler do? He came out and he looked like a Heisman Trophy winner. Now, (laughs) he was thrown to a bunch of wide-open receivers, and he's got to do it against better competition when there's going to be better athletes on the field who can maybe throw up some defenses that'll, you know, cause tighter windows and that kind of thing. Uh, But with the first test, which wasn't much of a test at all, he passed it with flying colors. Yes, he he was incredibly impressive for for his first start. I mean, man... Riley can just uh, – that dude can coach some quarterbacks. My gosh. Yeah. So Big 12, beware. Spencer Rattler looks like the real deal again. This would be quarterback number four to just do an unreal job for Oklahoma and and, and the system they have going there. They look like the, the cream of the crop. I That looks like the Red River rivalry is going to be the game that decides it, right? Like nobody else – other than we haven't seen Oklahoma State, we haven't seen Baylor yet, but other than 
the potential of those two teams and, and maybe a, a weird fluke upset potentially, which could happen. Sure. If, you know, with, especially with, with, if, if a position group is, is decimated and you get down to third, fourth string of somebody. But, um, that's the, that's the one thing we just don't really know how to, how to measure yet, but it didn't matter for Arkansas state. They were rolling with like 40 kids out there and just put a whooping on on Kansas State. Yeah, I think the numbers that I saw was that they were down 20 players off their roster, and I think nine of them were starters. So uh, just really an incredible performance there. And, hey, I'll just throw it out there too. Jonathan Adams, the wide receiver, I think he caught three touchdown passes in that game. And, uh, I mean, he just looked like one of the top wide receivers in the entire country. He was the dude, man. Oh, my goodness. Dominant. He knew exactly, like, he wanted the ball and the quarterback was going to get him the ball, and Kansas State could not do a single thing about it. Yes, sir. All right, Alan, we're going to jump off to break, and when we come back, we will have the pick and pod portion of the show for you right here on The Blackout. We are back. This is the best college football pick and pod in the land. Again, he is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black. And we're going to tell you now where we stand in the standings on the pick'em contest. And we're going to give you some helpful tips as we move our way through. So, Alan, we had our first week of the contest going on. Again, this is for a grand prize valued at $175. It's a $50 Visa gift card. It's a $100 gift card to championshipfootballs.com, and it's a t-shirt from bellyupsports.com. So a lot of good prizes, and Alan, it was an exciting week. We had a lot of big favorites, but with that, we had three upsets. Not a ton of people got a ton of picks right, uh, but at the end of it, out of 52 points available, you and I stand in pretty good spot after week one. Hey, I'll take it. Honestly, after after having Kansas State at a freaking eight, and blowing that and taking a massive egg on my face <laughs> after coming on in front of God and everybody saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to vault them up. And then Arkansas state goes in there and, and just whips them. I'll, uh, I'll take the fact that I had 36 points and am tied for 11th and I will be ready to jump into the top 10 this week. <laughs> Absolutely. You're right on the verge of it. I think you had a pretty solid week. 36 points, like you said, tied for 11th. I find myself, this is the first time this happened to me through week one of one of these contests, tied for first, 40 points on the board. Uh, So I really think I did about as well as I could have. Of course, I could have picked one of the upsets. uh, But Alan, what worked out for me is I had my top five picks right, and I only missed the bottom three with the three upsets. That makes all the difference in the world. I mean, it... It is, it is not just all about, that's the beauty of confidence pick'ems. It's not just you picking the right team. It's about you knowing where the bombs are, where the grenades are, where the landmines are, and moving those down and being able to anticipate some of that. That's part of the beauty of this. It certainly is. And it's interesting that, you know, we had a handful, not very many at all. We had a handful of people go six and two in their picks picking one of the upsets right, uh, but none of them came out on top. So we have four people tied at the very top with 40 points, but there is a long 
long way to go in this thing, but uh, I'm proud of the way you and I represented in the very first week because, heck, you know, both of us are sitting in a spot where, hey, we've definitely uh, put ourselves in a position where at least in the early stages, we're very, very competitive. And, you know, that just sets us up better for later in the contest. That's exactly right. And it, uh, it kind of vindicates the fact that we're on here talking about it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So Alan, you kind of alluded to some of the things I want to get into next. There were a couple of issues that some people had, and we want to just clear that up. If you're listening to this podcast, we're going to tell you exactly how this thing is supposed to work. There were some people who misplayed things in the first week, and we just want to clear some of that up. Like Alan said, it's a confidence pick and pull. So you're not just picking the winner. It's not just straight up. Anybody can do that because if you're just getting one point for every victory, then, hey, what in the world are we doing on here? Because it's just a matter of can you call some upsets, and that's about it. But with this one, what it means is you've got to pick a winner, and you also have to place them by confidence level 10 being high confidence, because if you get the game right, you get that number of points. And number one being low confidence. I saw some people reverse that. And then I saw some people who just didn't even know that they were supposed to organize the picks uh, by an order. So, uh, Alan, if we can clean those things up, then we're going to help a lot of people going into future weeks. That's exactly right. And and I think one of the things that, that we looked at and saw this week is you need to be aware of canceled games and you need to move those to your lowest potential points. And and I think that's going to be important because I I don't think this is going to be the only week that we witness this. And I don't think that those games are going to be replaced. So be ready, check the games on Thursday or Friday, and then move those things around. But make sure if you're the most, whatever you're confident in, make that the 10 game because you want that to be the highest confidence and obviously the lower you've got to make sure that is um, the lower on the board. So you've got to be intentional about moving that around. Absolutely. And like Alan alluded to, there were postponements last week, and we're going to tell you about that each and every week here on the podcast. You know, this week, as of right now, there aren't any, and I don't think there are going to be, but should one pop up, we're going to let you know on the podcast. And hey, if we get done with our pick and pot episode and there is a postponement, then I'll throw another small episode out there just to alert everybody and say, hey, this is an adjustment you need to make to your board. So what Alan is talking about was the Louisiana Tech and Baylor game, the Tulsa and Oklahoma State game. Even though those were on the picks, they were both postponed. And so what we said is you needed to bump those down to your one and two picks. That ended up paying off because uh, CBS didn't bump everybody's picks you know, up and avoid those. What they did is they gave you those at the value you put you put them at. And so if you had those higher up on your board, you ended up wasting points on games that weren't even played. I can appreciate that, though. It rewards the people that are paying attention. And Absolutely. It's to the detriment of the people that don't pay attention. And, you know, that's that's a... Life's not fair. Suck it up, Buttercup. Learn to, <laughs> learn to pay attention. Well, the funny thing is with that, typically in this 10-game format with the confidence pick them 1 through 10, you've got 55 points available to attain. Last week, though, with the postponements, the most points you could get was 52. But when some people slid a Baylor up or an Oklahoma State up, there were some people who were playing with a max of 50 or 48, or 45. So people were automatically chopping off the top of their board with some of the points that they put these teams at. And over time, that will be a big deal. Killer move. You absolutely, you want to maximize your potential points. And as we get later in the year, that's going to be really important that you may slide somebody 
down a little bit. If if you don't want to if you don't want to pick an upset, but you think that there is a decent chance, like the kind of out of the blue, like say this is not going to happen on God's green earth. But say you wanted to pick Kansas over Texas, right? Which is I'm going to say that because it's ludicrous, right? Right. But you don't want to pick. Kansas, because you don't believe they'll actually win, but you're like, hey, I can, I'm feeling it this week. There's a northern wind, and it just blew up my shorts just right. So, <laughs> and, and so I'm gonna pick Les Miles in Kansas because I, I believe in the Mad Hatter. He's gonna pull it out this week, which they almost did last year. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, against if, Texas, if they, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could pick Texas at a one, and everybody else is gonna have Texas at a ten. Right. So and then if you end up getting that right, you've only lost one potential point when everybody else has lost 10. That's part of the fun of the the confidence picks. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of strategy that plays into it, depending on where you find yourself in the standings. Alan, if you're ready for it, I think that covers pretty much all the mistakes anybody had, right? Yeah, I think so. Let's let's dive into this week's. All right, let's jump into it with the pick and pod game of the week. This week it is number 17, Miami at number 18, Louisville. So, Alan, I think how we're going to do this is I got you in the first week. Again, 40 points to 36. So I'm going to start us off this week. And uh, with this one, I decided to look back at last year's matchup. Miami came away with a 52-27 win. Sounds really impressive, But I think you have to look at a few things. The yardage was very, very similar. I think Louisville even outgained Miami in that game. Plus, Louisville had three turnovers and did not force any. And on top of that, their starting quarterback, Mikhail Cunningham, left the game injured. And on the other side, with Miami, you had Jaron Williams, who we talked about it in the first segment. Jaron Williams, who was a mess a lot of the year, had his best game (laughs) of the season. He threw six touchdown passes. But what I'm looking at in this one is Miami has some transfers that I really like how they've played out so far. Derek King at quarterback is a big upgrade over Jaron Williams. We've seen that so far in the running game. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you've got defensive ends, Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche, who are both transfers. And I like their athleticism. I think that they may be able to inject a little bit of big play potential into this defense, even with the loss of Gregory Rousseau, who opted out. Allen, I like this one in favor of the underdog. I like the Miami Hurricanes just because of what they have on the defensive side of the ball. It's a close one, so I'm not going super aggressive with it. I haven't decided exactly where I'm going to put it in the confidence, but I'm telling you, I'm going to go with Miami. I'm probably going to slot it somewhere between picks one, confidence level one and four. Oh, wow. Okay. To me, this comes down to one thing and one thing only. Scott Satterfield is better than Manny Diaz. In my humble opinion, Scott Satterfield is a much more accomplished and proven head coach. His teams play disciplined. They play hard. Mikhail Cunningham is, is, I think, taking a a significant step forward this year. They're at home. And, and, And here's the thing about last year, right, against Western Kentucky. So last week, Western Kentucky ended up scoring 21 points. But those were really, really fluky 21 points. So let me kind of go through this. Two of Western Kentucky's scores were on drives of one yard and four yards. Yeah. Okay. So that was because of a drop snap by the punter and a blocked punt. And the other one was during garbage time when the game was over. 
and against the backup. So here, I mean, I, I think that the defense for Miami is, or excuse me, of, of Louisville is much improved compared to last year. I think Mikel Cunningham is taking a step forward to the point where I don't think the quarterback uh, matchup is, leans really heavily towards Miami. And so to me, this comes down to coaching. And I trust Scott Satterfield to beat Manny Diaz any day of the week. Well, if you are boiling it down to coaching, then you've got it. You know, if that's what determines this game, you've got it. But I'm resting with the Miami defense. So we're on different sides of it, but I understand your logic. So, uh, Alan, I think it's going to be an incredibly interesting game. I think it could potentially be a shootout. And I'm just hoping, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that the Miami defense on my pick steps up and especially that defensive line like I mentioned with Roche and Phillips I'm hoping that their playmaking ability gets to Cunningham you know a couple more times than Louisville's defense is able to slow down Derek King and I think that's where I'm going with my pick I mean I I certainly understand it and, and I, I, I'm not going to have this super high right like this is going to be this is the game of the week for a legitimate reason um, but I, I think uh, eventually that the talent is even enough there's a reason the the line is is pretty tight i mean the the line is only uh, a two and a half point favorite for louisville and i i think that's probably because they're at home and and, and so i i lean towards you know that being a, about the right kind of line i think this is going to be tight but I do think that uh, Louisville's going to end up pulling it out in the end. Very good, dude. I respect it, and it'll be a battle to the death. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. We've got, uh, you know, last week you and I had the exact same set of picks. Like we said, we we lost the three upsets. We got the other five right. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see where this one falls, being that we're on the opposite ends of it. It's it's going to be nice to to have some opposite picks. It's funny how... Um, just placement of picks makes uh, that big of difference though on when these upsets happen you got to be careful absolutely and this is a really interesting week because last week we had all the big point spreads they were all double digit favorites this week every single one of them is single digits digits except for one so that's going to be really interesting to watch as well alan let's move into our value pick of the week this one i'm going to take you to appalachian state at marshall so Uh, I did a little bit of research, kind of like you did with Louisville and your pick uh, for the game of the week. With Appalachian State last week, they won 35-20 to over Charlotte. Now, I don't know. How much of this game did you watch? I watched a pretty good bit of that game because, one, I think Will Healy is a budding superstar as a head coach. And so it's going to be really interesting. And he's from the city that I live in. We live in. He's from Chattanooga. Yeah, man. And, um, and, And so... And I was curious to see after um, Eli Drinkwitz going to Missouri, I was interested to see how Appy State could follow that up. And they looked pretty good. Sure. And here's the thing with that. So they won 35 to 20. It's a two score game. But when you look a little bit closer, you find out exactly what Appalachian State did. Allen, on their very first drive of the game, they fumbled the ball on the Charlotte one yard line. A turnover, they might have scored a touchdown. They very likely would have. They also had a blocked field goal. And one of Charlotte's touchdowns came on a kickoff return for a touchdown. So right there, that's three standout plays that 
all went against Appalachian State, and yet they still won the game by 15 points. So I'm looking at that going, hey, maybe not all three of them go their way, but really, honestly, you could get all three of those plays to go your way pretty easily. And if that happens, Appalachian State could have won this game 45-13, to 13, okay? So that's first part of rationale. On the other end, Marshall's first game, they beat EKU 59 nothing. Well, EKU played another game this past weekend. They played West Virginia. They lost 56-10. to Very similar score, and we know West Virginia has kind of been a mess for a couple of years, and yet they still won by 46 points in that game. So, hey, I'm looking at this thing with Appalachian State being a four-and-a-half-point favorite on the road, and I think that is, uh, is a little bit smaller than it should be. I'm not saying massive. I'm not saying Appalachian State's going to kill Marshall in this game, but I think that the spread is lower than it should be because Appalachian State only won by 15 when, hey, a lot of things went against them, and then Marshall blew out a bad EKU team and looked really good doing it. I'm not saying Marshall's a bad team, but I think you can find some value in Appalachian State because they bring back a ton of starters in that game against uh, Charlotte, Zach Thomas controlled things. The Hells had a couple of running backs, Marcus Williams Jr. and Cameron Peoples. Both go for over 100 yards. As a team, they ran for over 300 yards, and Zach Thomas also threw for over 200 yards. So 500 yards of offense against a pretty good Charlotte defense, and they really should have blown them out. I like Appalachian State, and Allen, I'm swinging it big time. You should have it if you're going with the point spread. Appalachian State would be either a four or a five on your board, and I am boosting them all the way up to a number nine this week on the pickup. Okay, let's go. Well, Grant Grant Wells, true freshman quarterback for Marshall, obviously looked incredibly good and efficient against EKU, but this is a much tougher opponent versus, in my opinion, a very good Appalachian State team. Zach Thomas is efficient. I don't have them that high, but I most certainly have that Appy State team um, pretty high, much higher than the, the the four or five, but not nearly as high as you. I, I appreciate. <laughs> I, I very much appreciate that uh, um, that, that uh, thought process, though, because they 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 were fairly impressive last week. Yeah, man, I'm I'm going with the experience. They have a lot of starters back on offense and on defense. They've been a really quality team for a number of years now, and uh, I'm going to say that experience lends well to winning on the road at Marshall. Absolutely, and especially versus an inexperienced quarterback when home field advantage is essentially a non-factor, which I think was one of the biggest takeaways from last week is that home field is not going to be nearly – as important without the fans. Absolutely. It's going to be a big deal all year to watch that kind of stuff and see what kind of impact it has because it's not going to be near as significant as it normally would be. Alan, what do you have for me this week? What's your value pick for the people, the listeners of the best college football pick and pod in the land? My value pick, if you want to buy something real good, I say this week I'm buying Baylor. I've got Baylor over Houston. It's only about a four and a half, uh, point favorite for, for the Bears right now, which is the pretty much the exact same as the Appalachian State Marshall game. The Bears are led by senior quarterback Charlie Brewer, who has a, a chance to to become the first player in school history to lead the Baylor Bears in passing yards for four straight years. And Dana Holgerson's team was awful 
last year, going four and eight. And uh, they've got the same starter coming back, um, except for De'Aaron King, who started the first couple of games. And then they were like, no, I'm not playing for this bald-headed doofus. I'm out. (laughs) And and, and so I'm fascinated by this. I'm glad they made the game work because Baylor wasn't going to be able to, to play their game again. And so they scheduled this, made it made it happen, and I've got Baylor at a seven, which is either two or three spots higher than they than the line says they should be. So Baylor at home at a seven, that's my value pick for the week. Alan, I think you're on this one as well. Uh, there's some people who are saying some decently optimistic things about Houston, but you're right, they were a mess last year, and they've got to work out some things. I think a big factor for this one is the fact that it is uh, the first game of the season for both teams, and I think that plays a little bit more to the experience that Baylor has in, in, in their favor. They're missing some pieces defensively, but they've got some transfers and guys coming in, uh, so I'm not going to tell you exactly where I have it, uh, but for listeners out there, I'll just say I'm very much on the same page with Mr. Denton on this pick. Well, I am privileged to have that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this week because we've got so many close spreads and uh, and these games can really go either way. So people have the opportunity to either move way up the board really quick and pass a lot of people, or you could really pay a penalty if, if games go the opposite way and you could drop really fast as well. That's exactly right. I mean, here's the deal. How is Georgia Southern a favorite after barely beating a can of soup last week by one stinking point that they beat Campbell by one and so, uh, but I know FAU just like, they just started practice again. You know, they're just now getting cleared to, to practice. That's going to be a wild, wild game. These, these point spreads are toyed. And so there should be a <laughs> lot of, there should be a lot of close down to the wire type of games this week. It's um, all over the place, dude. Even that, that I don't know how to weigh some of these games because you're talking about Georgia Southern being a favorite there. I think when the line actually came out, I think FAU was the favorite, and it's flipped all the way on the other side because of bets coming in on Georgia Southern. But I, I think they were missing a lot of ga- a lot of players off their team in that game, uh, in their first one that you talked about with the close game. I think they were missing yeah. a bunch of guys off their team in that one. So maybe it has something to do with that. But if they're missing off the team during the game, that means they're missing during practice too. And that means that, hey, there's a lot of questions trying to figure out exactly how that team's going to respond and how they're going to you know, find chemistry once they get back on the field together. That's exactly right. Because Georgia Southern, what, they were missing like 30 30- – players last week yeah i was gonna say i think it might have been 33 yeah when when they were beating campbell's chunky beef stew and um by one and then even even a game that like is to me really tricky is tulane and navy heck yeah because tulane tulane came back like roared back against um south alabama but then you got B, uh, then you've got Navy who got trounced by BYU fifty five to three, but they're not going to be that bad again, right? And so that's a seven point spread for Tulane. That's going to which would put it like at an eight. Yikes! If that has to be your eight game. You're going to need some like Xanax to get through this one, dude. <laughs> dude, I'm telling you, there are a couple of games on this board uh, that make me a little queasy when I think about them because 
Uh, you have to break them down about a hundred times to get a feel for where you want to go. And even with some of the ones that are going to be mid or maybe even a high level pick or two, you're just going, I don't really know. I don't even really feel that confident in a lot of these picks. Yeah, absolutely. There's still so many unknowns, right? Like we've not seen Boston college. And and so with the new coach, what are they going to look like? We've not seen Houston. Um, we've not seen UCF. NC State, um, NC State, right, and and some of these teams that they're playing against, we have seen and haven't been overly impressed. Yeah, right. That's the difficulty in a week like this, in a situation that we're in in the midst of a pandemic, is there's so many unknowns. So um, good luck to you guys. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, and it's going to be great to see where it goes. But hey, we're both in good standing after the first week, but this. This week may be a little adventurous, and uh, if if we take a lot of L's on this slate, uh, then you better just hope there's a lot of people taking L's with you because, um, it, like I said, you know I'm sitting tied for first. Alan, you're just outside the top ten. If things don't go our way, uh, then we could be falling down the standings pretty quick. We'll just be rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, man. We'll be going down together. <laughs> hey, but once we get past this week, we know, hey, the SEC is kicking off. And like we talked about earlier, we've got the Big Ten coming another, you know, five weeks from now. So uh, at this at that point, you're going to be having a lot more games with a lot more teams that you know a lot more about. And that's going to help a whole lot in this pick'em contest. Less group of five, more power five. That's what I want to feel a little bit more solidified about this contest as we go. Things will start to clear up a good bit at that point, in my opinion, I agree the the, the group of five stuff is really hard because chances are one, we don't know anything about them. And chances are, we didn't know much about them last year. Yeah. So. And then even for some <laughs> of these games, like the Arkansas state deal, you know, they didn't announce that their nine starters and 20 players were missing until kickoff. And I think the same, the same thing for a couple of these schools. So well, let's hope you don't end up on the wrong end of that, where you've got a team at like a seven or eight, and all of a sudden you find out that, uh-oh, there's 25 guys not playing. Oops, it's past time. I can't change my pick. You know, that kind of thing's mm-hmm. going to catch some people, I'm sure. And you just got to hope that you don't end up on the wrong end of it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So just hope and pray and, uh, yeah, and get ready. Eat your fiber because it's going to be a wild one. It is going to be a wild Saturday. So if you want to track along with us, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find The Blackout on Facebook and Twitter at The Blackout Pod. You can find Alan on Twitter at AD on The Blackout. You can find me on Twitter at TB on The Blackout. Uh, once you're out there, once you're listening to the show, of course, jump on over, especially on iTunes, and give us a five-star review. Give us some feedback for exactly uh, what you like listening to on the show, and we will try to format this thing exactly how you like it as we go throughout the year. Alan, it was a pleasure. I think we had a really good uh, set of picks uh, to have some fun with, and I think we gave some good value picks. So I'm looking forward to it, and uh, can't wait to see what happens on Saturday. Let's do it. See you guys on Twitter while we're watching the game. Yes, absolutely. And make sure you tune back into the blackout next week where we'll have another pick and pod for you right here on the show.